Hi, everyone, and welcome to Strive's How You Lead Matters podcast, where we discuss everything leadership. From tapping into your motivation to feeling yourself with grit, we're here to support you as you discover the character-driven leader in yourself and those around you. I'm Caroline Lettner. And I'm Jared Smith. Hey, Jared, how are you? Um, well, and yourself, how are you today, Caroline? How are you doing? I'm good. It's been a minute. We've had a lot of exciting things happening at Strive, so happy to be back on this call with you. I'm ecstatic for our episode today. Yes, ecstatic. That's a good one. I know I always use excited, but ecstatic is a good one. (laughs) Another $5 word, if you will. I am. I am also ecstatic for this episode. This one's a little unique in that we are going to have Tiff Lockridge on. You all know her. You've heard her before on previous episodes, Um, but she comes on today with the exciting announcement that she is going to be stepping in as a new co-host um and you two will be taking it from here as I go off and do other amazing things at Strive so that's today hello everyone yes Yes. if I had a round of applause I would like give them but maybe we can add that in as a feature later yeah that would be a good one you guys will get creative (laughs) oh yeah well in addition to Tiff we also have the incredible Stu Singer on today. He is a sport and performance psychologist coming to us with a wealth of knowledge on mindfulness mm-hmm. and kind of what the, the world of sports psychology looks like right now. So Stu, grateful to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to be here. Absolutely. Well, Tiff, I'll hand it off to you. Do you have a question for our wonderful guest? Well, I have tons of them. If anyone knows me, they know Tiff is full of questions. Um, But the main thing is I want to offer to you is just what does your leadership look like? What is leadership to you? Let us know in the Stu Singer way. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, this is actually an interesting question because I have thought about this a lot over the years. I think um, at one point I was probably less intentional about it, but I've I've become pretty um, pretty intentional about this over the years. So for me, leadership really comes down to caring about the human beings that you have um, responsibility for um, and really caring about their development and growth. And I mean, authentically caring about their development and growth. Um, I think our goals, our outcome goals are really important in, in leadership, certainly. And, and then obviously in the, in the work that I do primarily in division one and professional sports, outcomes matter, reaching your goals matter. Uh, but I actually believe that if you can nonstop keep in sight the idea that you're actually caring deeply about the people that you lead and that they're becoming better um, growing, that your outcomes become the byproduct of, of that leadership. So yeah, pretty intentional about that. Like the authenticity pieces is important, you know, and that's, that's also how we kind of connect with Strive as well. And many individuals can relate to that. 
being a leader and just being the best portion of yourself is important. And with the same envelope, it's like, how do you make sure that you are at your best when you are leading, especially because it, you're you're with D, D1 and it's 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 high goals. It's it's definitely like the best. So like, let us know a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I've actually focused on this a lot over the last number of years. I, um, I think too, too often, maybe we think of this work, the work that I do as being athlete, individual focus, like the people that are, you know, in the arena doing it and a hundred percent that's it, it's needed and, and it's important. But I think we forget that leaders, coaches, teachers, parents, CEOs, we're all performing. We're all performing. We're, we're performing a role. We're performing when we're in, when we're speaking. And so how we perform matters. So we need to take care of ourselves. So I, I think like this really underserved population is leaders when it comes to the work that I that I do. And um, so over the last number of years, I'd say three to five years, probably actually coinciding maybe with uh, COVID and just realizing the the toll that it was taking on everyone. And, and then how do we lead when we're separated and all, all sorts of things was like, maybe that's really when it started to hit the most for me. But regardless, it's like, if I want you as, you know, athlete to perform at your best, I'm going to talk to you about, well, what are you doing to take care of your mind? What are you doing to take care of your body? How do you recover? How are you sleeping? How are you eating? Um, how are you hydrating? Like, I'm going to talk to you about all those things. And if we know that that matters to the people that are in the arena, why would it not matter to us? Like, why, why would we? And so you hear about coaches that don't sleep or coaches that don't see their families or, you know, um, you, you know, like, absolutely put aside everything that we know is healthy for any of us to do and then think that they're showing up as the best version of themselves. Um, yeah, I don't buy that. I don't think it's possible. And so that's been a big push um, of work that I do. And um, and so take it to what, what do I do? Like, I really believe if I'm going to talk the talk, I better walk the walk. Um, mm. So my day begins roughly every single day uh, with the alarm going off close to 5.30 in the morning, I would say. And, uh, and I am downstairs in my office probably by 5.45. Um, and I start every single day with doing uh, mindfulness meditation. So my day begins every single day with that. Um, then uh, I go into, uh, I do uh, breath work, um, uh, which is really, really good for the central nervous system and calming us and becoming focused and then and then typically I'm doing some type of exercise like you know whatever it might be strength training it might be yoga it might be some kind of cardio training it may just be stretching that day but I'm doing some type of physical movement so that by by seven o'clock um, in the morning I've already done my mindfulness I've already done my breath work and I've already done exercise and quite honestly that starts me off 
really, really well. Like if everything goes sideways from that point forward, I know that I started in the right, in the right direction. Um, and, and I believe deeply in, in that I need to take care of me in order to take care of others. That's great. I was wondering about that, you know, mindfulness, you touched on it. How important is mindfulness to you and to what you do? Because, you know, I mean, it's a pretty big part. It's a pretty big chunk of what you do. So um, I guess what in how, how did you get into the mindfulness act? If you mind explaining a little bit. Um, how I got into it was, um, wow. I'm trying to think of how far back this goes. Oh man, he's getting ready to drop some gems. Yeah, and well, I'm trying to also not tell you how old I am, but um, I would say like, I think roughly around 2003, maybe, I read a book, which I would highly recommend to everybody, um, called Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn, who is like the, the founder of Western, uh, what, what, what we would call the Western version of mindfulness meditation. So in the US, what it looks like. Um, and it was like, wow, this, this makes sense to me. Um, I get it, what's being said. Um, so I started my own practice, um, be quite honest with you, I was pretty shitty at it, um, which most people are early on. It's hard. It doesn't make sense completely. It, it feels like, am I doing this the right way? Like, I don't feel Zen right now. Like, so I, I don't know, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, you know, and, and so most people go in and out of their practice. And the one thing that I'll stress is, um, the, the, the research is clear. The data supports the fact that people that meditate regularly, mind, do mindful med meditation regularly, will see benefits. Um, it'd be kind of the equivalent of saying people that walk 30 minutes a day for five to seven days a week will see health benefits. It's, it's roughly the same. Where it doesn't work is if we're sporadic. If we, you know, if we do it here, but we don't do it, you know, I mean, it's probably better to do it sometimes than it is to never do it. But, but the real impact is inconsistency. So early on, I was not, I was inconsistent, didn't really know the research on it, but thought, man, there's something here. Um, and it, it just kind of kept staying somewhere in my universe. But I, I would say like somewhere around like 2010, um, I did more reading on it, um, Phil Jackson with the, you know, um, Chicago Bulls. Um, and then, and then even more recently than that, when he was with the Lakers, um, was a big, he was talking about it a lot, um, in, in the world of sport. And it just made sense to me. I just kept going for it and, and thinking about it. And I just committed to it and just said, you know what, for a month, I'm going to do this every day. And that's when it, that's when it clicked. Um, and I, yeah, I probably have not missed, you know, more than a handful of days a year since then. Like just, you know, it's just, it's part of what I do. It's part of my life routine. It's not, wow. not this thing that I'm like, oh God, I got to do this thing. Like I'm actually bummed out when I can't do it. And so that's how foundational it is. Um, we can go deep into why it's so foundational, but honestly, I I, every team that I work with and any individual client that I have, I'm, I'm pushing them to begin their practice. Uh, and I can go down the list of, of why it's so important, but it's, 
um, it's the best way I can say it is if there would be one great work, if you said to me, what's the best workout that you could do for your brain, this would be it. Mm. That, that's interesting because I definitely know with my personal experience, my journey with mindfulness started when I was in high school. We, I went to a bigger high school. So the step in a, about it was kind of like the, the Quakerism of waiting till the light hits you sitting in silence. And that's kind of where it began. But it wasn't until maybe the following year a teacher came in and actually uh, kind of dedicated a good portion of the start of class to focus on the breathing aspect and not just sitting and waiting for something to, to hit you. And I felt like that was where a lot of things, even in the Quaker tradition, kind of flip, flipped the switch for me because I it's hard enough as a what, 13, 14-year-old male child just to sit there in silence for a whole 45 minutes to an hour or whatever the time was and but being able to focus on my breath and then to go deeper a little bit deeper to have a thought there focus on it for a little bit but not dwell on it and to then to let it go back out into the atmosphere and just going through that process it was definitely rewarding and a transition where consistency like you said I knew when I had her class these were the things that we would be doing that you know it, it was helpful in that regards but uh and and then just to see how it grew into a whole big thing after I graduated in 2017 from high school and then college and everybody just got on the I don't want to call it a bandwagon but it started to become more recognized yes and I was like okay I'm kind of I feel good that I was kind of ahead of the game but you're talking about doing it in 20 or 03 and 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 uh phil doing it in like 2010 and with the bulls too so you're like man this and, thing and that's so to say, they did it in the early to mid 90s like before anybody was really like in fact kind of making fun of him and them for it but obviously it was it, it was all right exactly and and that's, that's just like, results. yeah yeah that's awesome though i mean i i can't tell you how much i believe in the idea of all schools i think all schools should be doing it um i think the smartest easiest way to do it is to start in elementary school because the kid little kids don't they just they just do what you ask they're not they're not too like well what is this or i'm too cool for this yet they don't they don't have the resistance and what if we what if we had literally millions of elementary school kids a year starting every day with 10, 15 minutes of, of understanding this and practicing this. Think about what that does for them over a lifetime of behavior stuff, of focus related stuff, of managing themselves when they get anxious and stressed. Look, I mean, we're in a, we're in a, a little bit of a, a global health crisis around mental health um, right now. And man, what if, what if everybody already had been doing this prior to, to this? Like, you know, it, it wouldn't make the world perfect. It doesn't make the world perfect. It doesn't make your life perfect by, by any stretch. And I'm not suggesting that, but man, it is a big time skill that, that actually helps the brain function at its best. It, and, you know, like I, I think we're missing something by by focusing on a lot of things that we do focus on and missing this one thing that's free. <laughs> um, it's just a little bit of time 
you know, um, but the impact that it has is, you know, it's just amazing. And, and why are we not doing this? Right. And I guess the last thing I will say about it is it also got, for me, it also, uh, in, I delved deeper into it at Strive, my time during Strive. And then I think that same summer or the winter after, I remember seeing LeBron and uh, just doing it on the bench when he was on the Cavs and the yep. camera just focused in on him like, yeah, he's just working on his mindfulness and breathing. Yes. Yes. Um, I show that clip. Yes. Yeah, it was great. I just remember it. It's just amazing that, you know, something that I kind of had a little bit of piece of that a professional athlete was taking and made me feel like I was doing something right. But Caroline, I think you had something to say. Go ahead. No, I, I love this concept. And I like, it, I was able to see the power of it. So Stu, I was a third grade teacher prior to coming on board with Strive. And I use mindfulness every day in my classroom, particularly for transitions. So like, any parent or teacher knows this, post those high energy activities like recess and lunch, we're coming down and that come down usually has temper tantrums involved. And so we would start our day with mindfulness because it was a big transition and it was just this habit that students could do and shout out to Go Noodle. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what I would use in my classroom. Super easy resource because I think when we, when we teach kids that mindfulness is just sitting there breathing and not doing anything, they're going to check out of it. But when you add little movements and little like kind of gimmicky things, it, it makes it more, yeah, exactly. <laughs> people can't see it, but Jared's stretching, exactly. We did rainbow breath and those sorts of things, but it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Recess, the end of recess was no longer a time where five of my kids were going to check in with a Dean anymore because they just knew they could come down and breathe. And then we could talk about whatever happened at recess. Um, but I, I wish did. I was in your class. Ooh, we I had know, I was just saying that. <laughs> it took time. It took time to go into what Sue is saying. It was not the first week of school that everything was fixed. You know, it was, it took a while. But something awesome. that Tiff knows I've been thinking about, um, I listened to this podcast recently that referred to Mick Mindfulness. I don't know if you've heard of the phrase, but essentially they were talking about, cause like, you know, mindfulness realistically is more of an Eastern tradition and it has been happening there for centuries upon centuries. Um, and so now it is more recognized in the Western world. Um, and because the Western world is the way it is, we kind of capitalized it a little bit. We were like, this is a really great tool to make everybody super productive and that is the opposite of what mindfulness is. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. How do you, how do you stay away from that when you have parents that are like, well, why are they breathing? They should be practicing basketball. Why are they, you know, how do you stay away from mindfulness? Well, it's, you know, two things I will say. Sometimes I struggle a little bit with that because deep down, I know that the practice is very much, it's all about being without uh, needing anything to happen. Like the goal isn't to be sitting there like, come on, I need to be great. I need to be great. That's the opposite of what the goal is. And so, you know, I find myself having to, how do I balance this? How do I explain it? How do I use this? Because, you know, again, majority of my clients are super goal outcome focused and they're, they're trying to achieve things that are in the, like the 1% of the 1% of, the population. So it's, it's, it, it is a little bit of a battle. Um, and I, 
I do have to, you know, it, it's about education, ultimately. It's about educating, I guess I should say. It's like, I hear you. I get what you're saying, um, you know, because I'll, I'll have it, you know, where I'm working. Let's let's say I'm working with a golfer, a high school golfer, and parents are like, well, teach them what they're supposed to be thinking about when they're on the tee box. And like, you should be doing that with them. And, you know, part of me wants to say, well, you know, I've been doing this a while. I mean, like, I don't tell you how to be an accountant. Don't, but that's side, side point. But, I, but I hear you, but there's this, all this underneath regulation that has to occur before I can convince myself that I'm going to hit a ball straight down the fairway. Somehow, some way I got to get my central nervous system calm. I have to be able to block out my past experiences i got to be able to block out the what if questions that create anxiety like there's just those are skills and they're really really hard because the brain wants to protect us its number one job is protection so what does it want to do it wants to project out what's about to happen so how do we get present is a deep deep challenging skill and so I need to educate on that. We need to educate on that. Like this, this thing is fundamentally the most challenging thing that you're gonna try to create within your mind, the ability to stay present. And if you don't do reps beforehand, before being in that really anxious pressure packed environment and moment, how do you expect to have it? then like when you need it, but you haven't done the reps prior to that. Doesn't make sense. And so it's through educating on what it is, what it's what it's gonna do. Um, I educate every client that I work with on um, the science uh, behind it. And, um, and usually, honestly, people get on board, but it's hard. It, that is really, really hard. And thank you, Stu, for even mentioning like, the waves and the ebb and flows of the practice and, and, the, and the process of mindfulness. Cause like as a volleyball coach, um, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to get them in a, in a mentality of like, I can do it. You know, um, they come in with low energy sometimes already because they just have a nervousness about how will they perform in today's practice and teaching them like how to serve um, last week, I just let them know that it, serving is more mental than it is physical in my experiences of playing. If I am not, like you said, Stu, kind of in the moment of like breathing, being present, taking that breath before I exude my body in a way, it's like, of course, it, it may not turn out well, but mm -hmm. if you get a chance to just center yourself, and this is also, I'm trying to coach volleyball differently than it has been coached. And I'm also too trying to bring in mindfulness more so of it being a, a natural practice as opposed to me like coming off educate to them, you know? Yeah. And I want them to be able to identify what it looks like first, you know, just being in the midst of it first. And then suddenly at the end of practice, letting them know like, hey, did you realize when we did this today? How did that turn out? And they do the reflections. And then I'm like, that is what I mean by mindfulness. Like, I won't even talk to them about it yet until the end of it. And it's so important to 
help them get to that place. But I often get a struggle when they're in, I think you spoke about it, I think, oh, in an or zone in a sense. I don't know if this is a good connection, but like when you have athletes and as a coach who are in a low place with low energy, like how can you help bring them out of that? And mindfulness does help us come out of that and grow from those emotions. Um, but at the same time, that's when they get over pressured because now they want to keep doing it well each and every time. And even so, that is also a struggle for a coach to be like, take it easy. You're going to get it. Take it easy. Too much pressure is not always good. So I, it's, it's, I appreciate you saying the ebb and flows of that because I'm currently experiencing it as a coach. And I think that like talking about the imperfection part of it, like talking about the challenge of it, like, you know, on one hand, I, I've said like, you know, my, my practice may have started 2003, but really I would say it really started 2010 and I do it all the time. And I'd be lying to say that my sessions now are perfect. Like I have many times where my mind is so overwhelmed with what I have to do, what might be going on with me, my kids, my, my wife, whatever, like that I, I can't, I, I, I'm struggled to be present and, and where I want to be. Um, and, and I think that realization is one of the most powerful realizations. Like what you're going through is normal. Like that's normal. It's normal to be getting ready to serve and be thinking about what if I don't get this in, this is an important point. Like that's what your brain is going to do. And so instead of fighting with it, instead of being angry at yourself, instead of thinking you're less than or you're soft or you're weak, I'm allowing myself to be like, I'm normal. This is what the brain wants to do. Now, let me take a big breath. Let me see if I can center myself back to this breath. Let me, let me uh, just be present. Let me see if I can not predict what's about to happen and just do this skill that I've done thousands of times in my life. And we'll see what happens. And you know, I think the, I think one of the things that we're, we're not doing a great job of as a society, it sounds like you guys are doing a phenomenal job, but I don't think we're doing a great job as a society is the idea that, um, the goal isn't to fail and yet we're going to fail. We're, we're going to have moments of disappointment, right? And, and, and instead of protecting ourselves against them, as in like, oh my God, they can't happen. What, what if we're saying they're going to happen? Here's how you're going to manage it. Here's, here's how we're building resilience before you even experience that thing. But one of the things that you don't have to be is if, you know, if I, I use a lot of one to 10 scales and you don't need to be at a 10 with concern about that. Now you might be at a five with concern. Like, yeah, I have teammates, I want to win this game. And five is probably a manageable level. But if you're at a 10, it's too high. And often that 10 being too high is all about the idea that like, we've labeled failing as the as the opposite of success. Whereas I try to frame it as it's the other side of the coin of success. Like it's part and parcel to success and but getting comfortable with that is hard especially if everything on instagram and tiktok tells us the opposite 
and and so as a society, we have to be the ones giving this message over and over again. Exactly. Thank you so much. That that was really powerful and great. And I'm glad we can uh, actually transition into your second really key point of what you wanted to focus on is the idea that humans can only function as well as their environment allows. Do you mind talking a little bit about that, Stu? Yeah, um, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while and and I've been so fortunate to be with some amazing programs and, and teams and, and coaches like, you know, um, that it's a ridiculous, really. Like, I, like it's, I couldn't have imagined the opportunities that I've had. And then you have the moments where you're like, man, you know, over the years where you're like, damn, the, the issue isn't the individual people that you're working with. So the, the, the players aren't the issue. The environment is the issue. It's not set up. It's not conducive to, to their success. And so my role, if I'm working just with them, so if I'm not working with the leadership that's then designing the environment, I'm just keeping those individuals heads above water so that they don't drown. So each week it's like, okay, how do I get you to get your head above water? But you're not swimming. You're not, you're not moving forward. You're not growing. You're just surviving another week. And so we have to design our environments in a way that is, you know, if you think about, you want to grow a plant. The environment's got to be right for that plant to grow, right? So it's not just about saying, okay, I planted it, now grow. It's got to have all the pieces. So, you know, we, we talk about a variety of things. You know, one of them is what's great teaching look like? Like, so how, how do we teach? A lot, of, a lot of leaders don't know when they've given too much information. When the stress in the environment is so great that the brain shut down because it's in survival mode. It's not in taking information and process information mode. So we have to understand teaching. We have to understand sociology, meaning that often we try to say, hey, you can't care about what other people think. That's not us though. We are pack animals. Look at the world. We create civilizations in every, we're not, we're not, we don't, roam the earth on our own. We want to create groups because groups represent safety. And so if you try to tell somebody you can't care about what other people think, that's, that's sociopaths. Sociopaths don't care what other people think. Me and you, we care about what people think. Now, maybe I can turn it down a little bit. I can learn to understand that, man, that's too much caring about what they think. But I care about what you think. I care about what you guys think right now. I want to do well for you. You're doing great. <laughs> Thank you. And so, but it matters, right? We want to be part of the pack. So we, we need to understand sociology when we're talking about groups and learning and teaching and leadership and develop. We need to understand psychology. So what's, the, what are, what's part of performance psychology? What are some things that we need to understand? And we need to understand neuropsychology or neurobiology, like our brain's number one job is survival. So if it's number one job is survival, everything else is gonna cascade down from there. So 
if we don't understand that as leaders and we're just like, well, this is how I was led at some point in my life. Okay, but they probably didn't understand it either. And now you're creating something that's not lining up with how humans function. So that's why we have to be really, really good as leaders around what's the environment so that these people can thrive. Now, if we create that, now the individual performance psychologist, uh, sports psychologist can come in and help those people who may struggle even in a really great environment because they got their own things that they need to address. But I can't get there if the environment doesn't even allow us to get there, if that makes sense. So that's how I use that phrase. How can we even begin talking about creating those spaces to speak about these things? I mean, we're doing it here. I mean, kudos to us, you know? Yes. I, For real, I you know, it it, it's that's where the, it starts. That's where the seed, the small seeds are starting, you know, going yeah. back to planting in environments, right? Yes. It's, it's, we got to be in a better space to begin communicating and talking about these things. And how can we do that? I mean, as as coaches, we do it as as much as we can and then as often as we can. But it was so important when you said we, we have to get to the ones who are creating those environments. Yeah. And it's so key to be in those leadership areas. Oh. And I, it, it just started shouting out leadership collaborations, like learning how to, I'm just not here in my realm and my specialty and my skill to bring to the table to whatever program you have or whatever you desire to fill that need. However, I, I need to also understand from your, also your program, you know, it's, it's, it's that 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 alone is also talking about how we can create a better environment. Stu, I mean, you're just amazing. <laughs> I don't know about that, but what I will say is these are the conversations, right? These are the musts. We, we're, we're missing if, if we're not having these conversations. Like we have too much information at this point to ignore that there's a reality to each of those pillars that I mentioned, they matter. Just the same as we could say that we have too much information to say nutrition doesn't matter or hydration doesn't matter in, in full athletic performance, right? We, we know this now. We can't ignore, we just can't go backwards and say, no, it doesn't matter how you eat. No, it doesn't matter how you sleep. No, it doesn't matter how you hydrate your system. We know for a fact that these things matter. Now we have to slowly but surely make sure that we're that we're saying, yeah, it, all these things matter. If we want to produce not just successful, because this is, I think, where we potentially, I don't, I don't want to say get it wrong, but, but we can hyper-focus on the end result as if the end result means that the way that we got there was healthy and or repeatable. Mm. But Often it is neither. It's not repeatable, nor is it healthy. What we really want to do is say, hey, there is way, things that we know that are repeatable and that are healthy for the people, the organization. And if we do those, it puts us way closer to the outcomes that we want. Um, the easiest way that I describe this is, is like there's stress management. There's good stress management, right? Or 
we can drink and do drugs and and manage our stress. I mean, it will manage your stress to a certain degree. You'll forget about your problems for a while. Is it healthy? So the outcome, you know, the outcome might be what we want for a period of time. Is it healthy? No. And we would all agree with that, that it's not healthy. So, so these conversations and quite honestly, you know, like I think one of the things that is so fortunate for me is that people will listen to me sometimes because if I'm in these platforms, because I work in these arenas that are with some of the, you know, names that, that everybody recognizes, right? But when the, the people, the LeBrons who is part of like the mindfulness movement, the Kobe Bryant's when, you know, God rest his soul was a massive practicer of mindfulness meditation. When these people begin to speak about the power of these, these habits, it's so impactful. And we have to have these conversations all the time. They have to be, because as much as as Jason, as you mentioned around, like you, like you saw this and, and, and people are talking about it and you were a little bit ahead of the time, people are talking about it. But honestly, if you walk down the street and said, what's mindfulness meditation to a hundred people, I bet you less than 10 would have a clue in the world. Maybe, maybe less than five. So it seems like we're talking about it a lot. We, you know, the word is out there a lot but we're nowhere near, it should be 50% or above of everybody that you run into. It's like, yeah, I do it. Yeah, I do it. I know exactly what it is. I do it every day for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20, whatever they do. That's where we should be. We're not there. We're not close to it yet. No. Nope. And, I, and I think that, oh, sorry. Go ahead, girl. Go ahead. Jason, I'm sorry, Jared. I don't know why I said Jason. It's all good. Jared, hit it. You're good. No, 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 no. I want to hear what you have to say. This is your, this is your episode. This is your episode. This is our episode. This is mindfulness's episode, realistically. It is. Um, <laughs> no, I think, so I like, I have five different questions in my head, but I'll stick to one. Sometimes what I run into, especially it used to be with my third graders and now it's with a lot of the teens that are like, I know how to do that. Like I'm, I'm good. And you're like, no, because while you were meditating, you were also on Instagram and you were also <laughs> talking to that person next to you. So, I mean, the concept be present, right? Like that's a pretty vague concept. And if we were to ask people like, are you present? They'd be like, sure. If you're trying to demonstrate to somebody like a, a five minute activity of what it feels like to be present, do you have an example of that? Um, that's a great question. I probably something that I should like hammer home, like really make that something intentional. I don't know if I do have like the answer for that, but here's, here's what I would say, cause I'm fortunate because again, we, we practice this. So we know like what it, that moment feels like, but it's amazing when you drop into being fully present Mm. And you recognize, like, for me, I think I carry tension, like, I'll, like, I don't realize it. But like, when I'm stressed, I, I almost feel it in my chest. Mm. And when you drop deeply into being fully present, where you're just following your, your inhales and your exhales, and you're so aware of like, just being fully present. All of a sudden, that that weight is gone. You don't feel the weight because the weight is actually the what if, the what do I have to do? 
Um, what's my worry? What's my concern? What's the embarrassment from yesterday that I can't seem to let go of? And when you're fully present, all that stuff, the best way of saying it is it melts away. It just kind of melts away. You don't even realize it. And all of a sudden you're there and you're like, wait a second, this is what it feels like to be in that state where I'm fully just experiencing what is without any other like dialogue going on. And so that would be my answer to it um, without ever actually being asked that question and being able to completely explain it. I should do that. Thank you. No, it's almost like the lack thereof, like the feeling of the lack of things. I know like, you know, like brings to mind like grounding exercises and like, you know, find five green things in your space just to like bring yourself. I have those exercises, but the feeling of what it feels like is, is maybe hard to explain, but I think that's the closest I would come to explaining it. Yeah. Well, because it's important for people that like, again, I, I run into a lot of people that are like, I do that. I'm good. And you're like, no, you're so, you're so not. <laughs> this is the one, it's the one I love when I say like, you know, do you do mindfulness? And they're like, yeah, I take cold showers. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, no, I just asked you to do mindfulness and you said, I take cold. No, that's not, they're not the same thing. Now, can you ever become totally present while you're doing that? Probably, but there's a difference between the actual sit exercise like I like and and just doing things where you're like I'm going to try to get myself to be fully present to that that that's good I love that that to me is being mindful okay but it is not mindfulness meditation oh cool and so I I delineate those two one is a practice so mindfulness meditation is a practice whereas being mindful is like a way of being and 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 like what you bring from your practice into life is being mindful so you can go on a mindful walk because you're present while you're walking Mm. you can be mindful in nature you can be mindful in music you can be mindful in the cold shower but practicing mindfulness is when you sit and you try to still everything and just follow a single point of attention and notice what pops up Mm. And those are two different exercises. Interesting. Thank you for clarifying. I think like, Stu, you trying to describe it. I went back to a place where I was first introduced intentionally to mindfulness and I was in an accident and then my physical therapist, she was different didn't push medications and everything it was all about touching back to the body and how the body can heal itself Mm -hmm. through certain practices and I had to do the breathing exercise and because like I got so frustrated in the process of I couldn't sit because my back it just was not okay to sit so I became uncomfortable and frustrated with the fact that I just couldn't do simple Mm -hmm. things or things that I used to do and I was good at, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I had to lay down all the way on my back. And when I tell you to be able to, like Stu is so correct, your body melts into it. When you are breathing and you're not even thinking about the breath, 
You're letting your body naturally do its normal diaphragmic ways of breathing. The eyes are closed, the jaw, the teeth, the tongue rests. And like all of that, it really is a huge different experience. And I really encourage everyone to really just try it. There's no harm in trying. <laughs> yeah. You, just experience. you gain experience, you like it or you don't like it. Just I, I totally, it. I totally agree. And and the weird part is, is you know, one of the battles that I think the topic has is that until you experience those things, they can sound like, man, is that right? Can we really do that? Is, is that a little woo-woo for me? And and it's a little bit about letting go of some preconceived, you know, when I'm speaking to a room of, you know, super high achieving athletes that often it's it's about toughness and, and bravado. And you try to, like, I'll just say, listen, everything that you've ever done, let go. Just, just let, I'm asking you to let go for about 10 minutes, maybe a half hour. And just let go of all preconceived anything and just try to experience. And whatever happens, happens. If you don't like it, you don't like it. It's all right. I, you don't have to like what I do. But I'm just asking you to let go and, and just allow yourself to experience what I'm asking in this moment. And if it works for you, awesome. If it doesn't, that's okay too. And if it's somewhere in the middle and you want to ask more questions, let's do that. Let's become curious. And all of that, to me, is the only way that we can present this because um, it is challenging at first. It doesn't. It's it's not something that's real super tangible immediately that you can that you can notice. But I'll, I'll just add one piece to what you said about the discomfort part about managing being in this case really uncomfortable in pain potentially is where yoga um, intersects with mindfulness meditation and, and where yoga once, like what the practice of yoga started as a, as a training, um, physical training for warriors. And part of it was about the getting into a pose that is uncomfortable and holding the discomfort, just like being in that discomfort. And so for me, when I do yoga, I have tight hamstrings. I've had tight hamstrings since I was a kid and they're still tight. Like that's just my area where, where I got to continue to work, right? So any pose that is going to stretch and put me into something where my hamstrings are going to be stretched, I'm going to be uncomfortable. And what does a yoga instructor typically say when they know that the pose is uncomfortable? They say, relax focus on your breath, right? And every single time that I stop fighting against the discomfort and I focus on just my breathing, I go this much deeper into it. I can hold it for that much longer while I'm in it. And it's all because I've shifted my place of attention from fighting against discomfort to just kind of acceptance of like the discomfort is actually where I want to be right now. How am I ever going to get looser in my hamstrings if I'm fighting against being in that discomfort? I'm actually, I want this discomfort. 
but the only way that you can get there is actually the shifting of your attention. It's not, it's not that I'm tougher. It's that I've actually just shifted my attention to my breath, which allows me to stop fighting against the discomfort. So I do a little bit of this with our athletes where like, Hey, look, discomfort's part of being an athlete, whether it's just my, you know, I, my ankle hurts because I've got a slight injury or discomfort of like, I know this is going to be challenging. I'm not, maybe I'm not better than this person or they're, you know, they're better than me. And this is uncomfortable for me to be in this position. And it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. It's still, do we fight against it or do we find that place of acceptance where I like, okay, I'm in it and I'm just not going to, my attention's not going to be pulled towards the discomfort. Instead, it's going to be pulled to where I want to place it. And I think that if you think about it, it's such a high level skill set. And we don't talk about enough of like, that's hard to do what I just said. That's really hard to do. Yet it's super effective if you ever get there. I'm telling you, that did not shift your perspective about mindfulness or even help a little bit to change your attitude about it. I, I... Yeah, I, I'll, I'll share this with everybody and anybody. And I also wanna say it's not magic. It's not a magic bullet. It doesn't, it doesn't make all the world become wonderful and perfect with birds singing all the time, you know, on our shoulder. It just gives us a tool. It just gives us a tool that we can go back to again and again and again when things get challenging because things will get challenging. I really like that you named that kind of in alignment with talking about environments too. Like right now especially that the spaces that strive works in there's so much burnout we work in the school space so much burnout there we work in the sports space there's a lot of burnout there um and i think it's it's powerful to view mindfulness as a tool particularly for the people that are putting an effort to change those systems that are creating these toxic environments. Like, you know, if anything, we can at least utilize mindfulness to keep our head above water, like you were saying, to hopefully contribute to a different system and a different way of looking at life and, and things like that, because it really like, you know, it's difficult to change things. It's not as simple as the, even the coach, you know, like coaches are under that same pressure. Everybody has somebody up above. Um, okay the thing of us being we're all performing right and so if you want to perform at your best because you have this mission that you want to be great at that you believe in but you can't be bringing 100 percent of yourself because you're not healthy which however you want to frame health because health is both physical and mental like it's going to be hard for you to carry out that mission and yeah. until we begin to really understand that, and here's the really cool part. Once all of you, because you're all leaders, are practicing, now you're going to help other people to practice. You're going to understand the value of it. So that, to me, is why it's so important for leaders to understand the value of this, not do this to the people under me. No, I want to understand it. I want to do it. I want to be at my best so that I can help other people to be at their best because it's really, really hard. And there is massive burnout in both of the fields that you're talking about right now. There's massive burnout. And I think it's a lot of it is because um, people tend to want others to take care of themselves, but they're not, but they don't take care of themselves. You know, we, 
we use the phrase in our household, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, you know? And, and so I believe deeply in giving my wife all the opportunity. She's a runner. And, and so you want to get out and run, please go for your run because that's where she grounds herself and, and gets back to her neutral um, because it matters to us as a family unit that she's at her absolute best because she's way more important uh, to our household than I am. That, that takes a um, happy, happy wife, happy life to a, to a, to a whole different level. I, I like it. <laughs> I'm a believer, believe me. She might tell you I'm not, but I am a believer. I love it. Well, <laughs> as we, as we come to a close here, although I don't want it to end, any final thoughts, Tiff and Jared, any questions, Stu, any final thoughts that you would want to throw out there before we close out? Stu, how can people get in contact with you, um, if desired? Yeah, uh, I think the easiest way to interact with me is probably through social media. So um, Instagram is uh, at Well Performance, um, and Twitter the same uh, at Well Performance. Um, you can DM me at those, and and we can go from go from there. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Um, embarrassingly say I'm I'm part of the mindfulness revolution probably because <laughs> I I did create my own app um, that is specifically for um, athletes uh, or anybody I, I I should let me back out with that it's for anybody that feels like they need to perform at their best that's the that's the reality it's very sport analogy focused but it is at the end of the day anybody that's like saying hey I want to be kind of at my best um, is is who it's for, um, and it and it combines what I would call um, traditional sports psychology topics with with the practice of mindfulness meditation. And I'll Tiff, I'll just throw this out there that um, you know, I I actually call it mindset workouts. Um, instead of mindfulness meditation. It is mindfulness meditation. But what I want to do is break through the barrier of like, if, if, if meditation makes you back away, I don't need to call it that. I'll call it a workout of the mind. And, and people, oh, I, I love to work out. Okay. Like, so let's do this workout. You know, why, it doesn't matter to me what we call it. It's just a way of introducing it and getting people there. But, but, um, but that, and the name of the app is do so, um, do D O S O all one word it's in the app store. Um, and, and I would say that those are all great places to, to head. I think that's great. I don't think you're part of the McMindfulness. I think <laughs> well, the, the goal of practice, not the goal of achieving. That's the difference. <laughs> but yeah, you can always yeah, yeah. throw little carrots and sticks here. <laughs> correct, correct. correct. There it is. There it is. It's already up. Tiff's pulling you. it up. Tiff's pulling it up. All right. Well, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for this. Just really grateful that our listeners get to benefit from this knowledge and can't wait to talk to you again somewhere down the line because this will not be the last. Yes. Thank you, Stu. Appreciate you. Thank you, Jared. Thank you so thank much. You all so much. Yeah. You guys are awesome. And I, I just want to put my gratitude back towards you by saying like what you're doing, your mission is um, 
it it is so much more uh, important. I know that you know that it's important, but it's so much more important than uh, than I think we can understand at the moment of just how important it is to to have the impact that you're trying to have. Um, it's a gap area that needs to be filled, needs to be filled well. Um, so I really appreciate what you're about and what you're doing and what you're attempting to do. It's phenomenal. We're trying. We're trying. I know you are. Thank you so much, Stu. Thank you, listeners. Appreciate you. Thank you all. Thank you guys. For- And thank you to everyone who tuned in today. How You Lead Matters podcast comes out on a monthly basis. And if you are looking for more content, where should they look, Jared? You can follow us on all socials at How You Lead Matters or email us today to schedule your own Strive workshop. Talk to you next month. Peace.